today. Guest Philip Roundtree, founder and CEO of Quartify LLC. And you've got Ken Jones and Ambush here handling this. Hey, hey, hey. How's it going, sir? Phil, thank you so much, man. Oh, no doubt, brother. Thank you for having me. So, wanted to kind of jump in. Got a couple of questions to, to lead into. Um, could you let us know uh, what is mental wellness coaching and how does it differ from traditional therapy? So, I mean, how, how can I put this? The biggest difference is <laughs> that there's no insurance involved, mm. right? So this means that people pay strictly out of pocket. Um, and so outside of that, when we talk about just the tenets of, of mental wellness coaching, again, it's that idea of what therapy represents. I go to therapy. Um, I have been in therapy now for the past three years, but it's something that scares people when they, when they hear the word therapy. Um, you know, we can talk about the cliche stigma attached to the idea of therapy, especially amongst uh, black and brown folk. And so I didn't want to just say that I was a therapist, but I'm a, uh, I'm a coach, right? Like I'm, I'm trying to encourage you. I'm trying to push you forward while still using some of the, the basic uh, tenets and skill set that I, that I learned from being a therapist for, you know, X amount of years. But for real, for real, man, it's just, we just argue with semantics when it comes down to it. <laughs> so you make a point to mention black mental health. What are some of the characteristics that are unique to our mental health experience? So I, I think the, the biggest difference is the idea of, of trauma and, and the impact of trauma. Now, everybody experiences trauma, you know, across, across the racial and ethnic spectrum. But our trauma is something um, that's unique because it's been occurring for, you know, hundreds of years, right? So, you know, we're talking about historical trauma from uh, when we were enslaved. Then we start moving forward. We go through Jim Crow. We go through the Civil Rights Movement. We go up until uh, yesterday, you know, and what's been taking place across different cities. I live in Philly, uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, for those who are, are, aren't in the know of what Philly is, right? Hey, uh, hey. <laughs> um, but, you know, we're, we're seeing these, these, this tragic imagery that's been taking place. We understand um, the, the trauma when it's, now not only talking about just murder and, and what have you, we're talking about the wealth disparity that exists amongst between black and white folk, right? Like that's traumatic if, and it impacts our well-being. So it's the idea of trauma being anything, anything that adversely uh, impacts our ability to not only live, but our ability to thrive. <laughs> and i think it's important i mean I'm, I'm glad that you are making that distinction i think it's very important to constantly remind people that there are some very unique experiences that affect us differently because you know we're talking about the black experience so there's specific trauma um that we that we endure on a daily basis <laughs> that might not be directly tied to any huge incident, but just, you know, I was uh, having a conversation with a friend last week and was like, I saw a cop two blocks back. My head's on a swivel, period. Just because he's in trap, that officer is in traffic two blocks behind me. Yeah. You know, like, you know, <laughs> there's a history associated. It's, with it's interesting to, uh, in just the way in which we carry it. And there is a certain um, desensitization that comes with it. And then it finds ways to rear its head <laughs> in weird times. 
and yeah. also in weird yeah. ways. And, you know, I think about it in this context of I got a tooth injury from hooping when I was a teenager. Right. And when I went in for one of my most uh, recent x-rays at the dentist, he talked about my tooth like asking if I was in pain over it and told him, no, I've never really had an issue outside of maybe that first six months. And he was saying that there's a good possibility that if I happen to stub my toe hard one day, my body's gotten so used to that going on <laughs> in my tooth. If it went to my foot, then I would start hurting in my mouth. Meaning mm. that pain would come back <laughs> because I've gotten yeah. so used to it and kind of yeah. numb to it. And I think about that and kind of the way that we move through life just carrying the weight of stuff and then uh, an occurrence happens and now it all comes out. Yeah. And I, and I think that's why, you know, like I, I see all this looting. I say, granted, you know, it's, it's not just black folk who are out here looting, no matter what the media tries to portray um, or who out here who are out here committing quote unquote violence. Like, I, you know, I take those terms serious. Right. So I, I don't just like to just use them all willy nilly. Right. But what's what's taking place for a lot of people is you're, you're seeing the manifestation of a lot of anger, of a lot of rage, of, you know, 15 years, 20 years, 35 years in my case, 50 years of people who have been um, internal, who've had to be resilient by force, right? And so they are internalizing all of their experiences. What you're talking about is uh, the body keeping score, yes. right? And so it's this book, it's this book called by, by some white cat because he got a he got a Vaughn in his name, right? So it's a Vaughn something. So you, you got to be white, uh, but you know, it talks about how your body remembers everything. Right. And it, it stores it in different places. So we're talking about it stores in your mind, it stores in your gut. Right. A lot of people don't know a lot of our emotional reactions are partially uh, triggered by our gut. Right. Because, again, all of this tension and everything is is stored within the body. And so it has to come out. It, it, there's no way of of keeping it in at some point it will manifest itself for some people it's picking up a vice it's, it's drinking it's drugging for some you know a lot of brothers i have these conversations with this promiscuity right it's it's going to come out in some way and and you the only thing you hope is that it comes out in a healthy way um and not a maladaptive way that might connect that might get you killed when we talk about uh, black boys and black men, like our our depression and anxiety doesn't necessarily manifest itself in in sitting in the room in in our room for three or four days, right? That happens at times. Me being somebody who lives with it, uh, yeah, there are days uh, where I don't feel like doing anything. I don't want to come out. I know my depression is flaring up, but a lot of other times it manifests itself through anger and rage. And so anger and rage meets somebody who's not a, aware, uh, who understands and that that this individual might be triggered from a past experience or just from, from um, having the experience of living with depression and anxiety. It's a combustible situation. So nah, man, you, you right on point with it where, you know, the body knows no matter how hard we try to mask it with with self-care and bubble baths and sh and stuff excuse me I almost <laughs> let it go like that's we have to find healthier ways to get it out so we we gotta have i'm glad we got right here because we have a habit of you know really being hard on each other and very so often and i find myself doing it for decades saying like it's something wrong with black people something wrong with black people and and while that may be true there isn't enough of the follow-up conversation to talk about what is actually 
illing us? What is actually wrong with us? Can you talk a little bit about generational trauma, you know, as it relates specifically to the African-American experience and having that, you know, that not just that muscle memory, but that mental, you know, uh, uh, experience being passed down? Yeah, you know, it's, you know, Bell Hooks talks about the idea. She called watch well, always mess up the, the acronym, whatever, but white supremacy, uh, capitalism, patriarchy that we all live in. And we're all we all experience the effects of it. And and what that what that looks like is just the 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 years and decades and centuries of oppression. So again, we talk about the manifestation of it. Um, you know, if we go back to, to during the slavery period, right, where black men couldn't emote, they couldn't sit and cry. Why? Because that could mean the difference between life or death. And so we look at a young fella that's walking around uh, who's not smiling, who's who's uh, who's angry, who's not emoting. It's like, no, young fella, you got to smile. It's just like, no, nah, we talking about survival here. Right. It's no difference than than, you know, 400 years ago and today. When survival is the name of the game, it, the, you know, the space might not be safe enough for somebody to, to truly emote. Uh, we're talking about um, the tension that builds up. I'm, you know, this week on, on my platform, I'm going to be having a conversation with some sisters and another brother. And we're going to sit and we're going to watch uh, James Baldwin and Nikki Giovanni conversation. And we talk about we talk about the manifestation of it. You know, he's she's like, listen, what you sitting here smiling in these white folk face all day. Right. And then when you come home, we get the worst of you. And he's like, yo, I got to pay the bills. Right. And, and she's like, because I don't want you out here, you know, having to do what you got to do to pay the bills. And so we're bringing that tension to one another to where, you know, we're we're we're, um, you know, we're taking on the mindset of the oppressor. Right. And so that's why we continue to see this this conflict that that exists among groups. We see it now, man. Like I've gotten so much pushback on my post where I'm like, uh, first, you know, with these, you know, with George Floyd, God bless the dead. Right. Ahmaud Arbery, Brown, all these individuals, God bless the dead. But I'm, I can't get I can't afford to get caught up in this. I can't afford to continue to expose myself to this trauma because I'm trying to live a long life and me getting me getting involved emotionally invested in every situation. Listen, black folk already have the lowest life expectancy, right? Especially black men, where the average age of death is is 67 here in Philly for for black men. So I can't afford to necessarily part participate um, in this conversation. But what I even though I've still participated in the conversation because, you know, because right. if I don't, who will? But it's this idea of it's not necessarily about black men. Right. Yes. George Floyd was a black man who was, you know, killed, who was murdered by the police. But this is a, an attack on blackness. Right. And so I see a lot of people know we need to focus on our black men. And I'm like, listen, they, they're killing our black women. They're killing our trans women. They're killing our trans men. Right. Here in Philadelphia, uh, the protesting is cool. Like we protested yesterday. It was out here heavy. But I'm like, all right, George Floyd got killed by the by a knee to his throat. But our black boys and black girls are going to elementary schools that have asbestos, 10 and 15 schools that have asbestos which are killing our black youth. The number one reason for black boys going into the emergency room, again, here in Philadelphia, is due to asthma, right? And so when we're talking about the war on blackness, 
that's that 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 manifests itself across all of these situations. But we get so caught up a lot of times in the trauma Olympics, what I call it, right? Where where black men got the gold medal, uh, because we, you know, when videos come out of of Christian Cooper, who by the way was a Karen in his own right, but that's a conversation for another day. Um, you know what? No, oh, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but. You know, when we when we talk about, you know, the Christian Coopers and the Ahmaud Arbery's and the and the George Floyds, it's just like we we really get galvanized when it's black men, right? And then next we have black women who are fighting with uh trans women who gets the silver medal when in reality we're all out here losing. Right? And so if we could look at it from a perspective of blackness being attacked, yeah. we'd really be able to, to do something, but Again, that's another conversation for another day. <laughs> Yo, so speaking to, you know, these experiences and how they're passed down, uh, my two youngest children are, are uh, young ladies, and I remember having a conversation with them. I th- it was less of a conversation, but just, I guess, part of my actions in parenting. At the time, I was a single parent, back still back in Philly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember us being in situations where they'll start crying, and I'm like, hey, Shut that down. Shut that down. This ain't the moment. This ain't the time. Stop all that crying. And that came from how I was brought yeah. up, you know, and my father preparing me. And, of course, we want to make sure we're, you know, creating healthier habits as we as we continue this, this journey in parenting. And it wasn't until a woman spoke to me about it later and was like, no, you got to let these babies cry, yeah. first off. Second off, you should be crying more. <laughs> And initially, I was like, "What are you talking, man? You better chill out. I don't got time to cry." Like, yeah, what do you mean? <laughs> like, where's where, where is the space? Where is the 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 space and time? Where's where can I safely? Nah, I don't have time. Yeah. For that. No, no. And it wasn't until again, you know, experience experiencing so many other things and just you know, really taking a step back and understanding some of the decisions I was making from a parenting standpoint and just you know, for myself. But yeah, you. You definitely nailed that. So something that did get touched on um, just as far as, you know, seeing these videos and such pop up, um, I feel like there's a lot of display of black, brown bodies, um, black, brown trauma that you don't see in other capacities. So what do you think the long term effects of seeing harmed black and brown bodies display displayed um, has on black and brown people viewing them? Were. Well, first, I'll, I'll take a step back, right? Because I, I used to be one of those people who uh, like, yo, don't share trauma. And up until probably about a, a year ago, you know, you know, they the IG and all those, they show you your memories, like, please don't repost trauma. And I've, you know, did a complete 180 on that, where no, please show it. Because some people need to see it, right? And that's the, it's, you could tell somebody, yo, so-and-so got punched in their face, mm-hmm. right? You hear about it, you know, the next day at school, like, yo, so-and-so got punched in like, where? But when you sit in there and you actually watch it, that evokes a different emotion. And for some people, they need to see it. Mm-hmm. Me personally, I don't, mm-hmm. right? I don't need to see it. I already saw Sean Bell, Abdul Louim, I done saw uh, Philando Castile. At that, I'm like, nah, I'm cool with, you know, with what they call trauma porn. Uh, you know, I don't need my entertainment to, to be something uh, as traumatic as that. So, but at this point, I recognize that, yo, you got to share it. 
because if you don't share it, some people are not going to know and people are not going to understand the severity of it. Now, the, conversely, the impact of that are, again, we talk about the desensitizing of, of what violence is to where I remember I was on Facebook Live. I always tell the story of some boy in Chicago. He was like, yeah, I'm on Facebook Live. Then you hear gunshots and the phone dropped. And I was just like, oh, all right. Kept scrolling. It's just like, wait, what? You just saw somebody get murdered. You just will keep scrolling? Like, that's that's not healthy. That, that There's nothing healthy about that. So we talk about the desensitization of, of it. And then we talk about, uh, you know, I know nobody wants to hear about black-on-black crime during this time, right? But again, that's a direct re- response to to some type of trauma, some form of trauma, to where I can't look at you as as my black brother, my black sister, my black person, right? I view you through the eyes of the oppressor, and so it's it's impossible for me to see you that way uh, when every image that I see um, is telling me that this is who you are. Right. And so, you know, that's why, you know, I have to catch myself sometimes where I, I might be in the environment. I see, you know, I see young fellas who they they they, they ain't doing nothing but being young fellas. I'm like, all right, let me put myself on guard. And unfortunately, that's it. You know, what makes me any different than the white woman who clutches up hers? Wow. Because we got the same view. But I, I have to understand just the impact of that. Right on my on my psyche and how I see people and how I see the world. And then again, we talk about the physiological impact, the fact physiological uh, impact. We talk about you know stress. We accumulate a lot of stress by the very nature of, of being black. We already feel like we ten steps behind and we got to go twenty steps forward. Right, so we already put this this pressure on ourselves, and so now it's like we got to do it for George Floyd. We got to excel, black excellence, X, Y, and Z. Right, so we're take again, we're taking all of this in. We talk about stress. The number one killer of of, of black men is is heart disease. Same thing for for black women. So when we see people like Andre Harrell who who dies in his fifties, you sit back like. Not a heart attack at at fifty something. Something not. Something ain't right. Mm -hmm. Right. It makes you want to look deeper. And then when we start looking at the hearts of these people, of John Singleton, um, you know, who died, you know, again, late fifties, early sixties. We again, we see the death as a result because why? They have high stress, uh, which leads to strokes, which leads to uh, heart attacks. And we're not taking care of ourselves. You know what I mean? And so again, it impacts our relationships. It's it's hard. How can you have a a healthy relationship with with your with your partner, with your homies, which you know what I mean, with people in general, if you're taking in all of this unhealthy imagery, right? And hearing about all of these things. So yeah, man, it, it impacts us holistically. Uh how would you approach these topics, specifically, you know, racial tension and and, and some of the other things we're facing, not not just at the hands of police, but just systemic oppression. How would you approach that type of conversation with children, especially preteen? That's that's interesting, man. You know, know, my daughter is 11. Uh, So I have a daughter who's 11. Her brother is is 19. I've been around for for more than half of his life. And so the question, the answer is I have no idea. I'm out here trying to roll the dice and try to figure it out myself. Um, but, you know, as I try to, because it's the dilemma of not wanting to overexpose her, 
right, to, to different things. I want her to be an 11 year old little girl, right? But then uh, I also want her to know that, yo, it's, it's some people who don't mean you well out here. There's some systems that are in place that, that won't allow you, they'll do everything in their power for you not to thrive. And so that's when we come in, you know, try to get her to read a black book. Right by a black author, she's like, no, nah, I don't want to read that. I want to read this, and she don't understand that the importance of of black authors. Which a part of me says, yes, I'm glad you don't necessarily see race and ethnicity, but then it's just like I need you to see race and ethnicity. You know what I mean? And so I look at myself as being, uh, you know, I have to be the advocate for it. She goes to a Christian school, uh, you know, which is majority Caucasian. Uh, he within the first two weeks, uh, her her teacher, Mr. Bateman, <laughs> right? He he says, you know, she doesn't have a humble spirit, and I'm, I'm like, wow. I, I had to take a step back. And so I was cool throughout the whole meeting because I always like to observe, but I'm like, nah, right? Because we to, we understand the criminalization of black girls in private schools and what that looks like, and so it, maybe it's me being hypersensitive to you being an old white man who who has Jesus here and everything that's 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 not Jesus or you know any pushback that you might receive from a child because you you're from a different school of thought is 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 not appropriate you know i couldn't have i didn't want her in the room for that conversation but a part of me did and so it's just that balancing act and just try again trying to expose her try to have conversations she hears uh you know megan the stallion and roddy rich the box she just liked the song the box right or you know or savage she just liked the song but I, I gotta, you know, remember. Listen, she's hearing the music, but what's the the messaging behind it? And so I gotta do my job still of policing what it is that she's doing. I can only do so much, right? And so, uh, but the one thing I did, which I think prepares her for when she does become of age, and I think Mr. Bateman saw it because <laughs> I think he said as much during the, the various meetings we had over the school year, is that she always has a response. And so when I hear that, I start smiling exactly, right? Because it's this idea of, uh, you know, the difference between poor folk and, and rich folk when it when it comes to, and it's, it's in uh, Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers book. And he said the affluent family, uh, and we might even talk about monetarily, we're talking about, you know, just um, uh, parenting, we're talking about so many other factors. When they're riding on a trip to the doctor, uh, they said, well, what questions do you have for the doctor, right? What are you going to ask him? When he gets in there into these rooms, the, it, the, the little person asks him, so what are you going to do with, with, to me? What is that for? What is this for? What is that for? And so they're encouraged to ask as many questions. It's not uh, be quiet because you're a child, stay in a child's place. It's no, you, you have agency over your person, over your body um as well and so the, the 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 family that's impoverished in whatever way you want to look at it 
right? It's no, this is the, this is the professional. This is the specialist. You listen to them. And so we can see our most outspoken parents, uh, community members, but when they get in, in these rooms with these people with degrees, they're silent because we're taught to trust the expert. And so with my daughter, I never wanted to tell her because I said so. Sometimes I regret it, right? Because I just wanted to just, yo, just do it. But it's just like, nah, man, because it's going to get to a time where somebody going to ask her to do something, and I don't want her to just comply because they have some letters behind their name. You know, so what, and, and I think that just goes to the whole piece of, of, of critical thinking, which is necessary when we talk about, you know, a child who turns into a, a, an adolescent who turns into a young adult and adult. I, I swear that that whole piece could have been taken and applied to me. And like, <laughs> like, that's wild. Like, I feel like I could have gave that same spiel. Um, with that, uh, in your opinion, uh, which in which way has mental health wellness awareness benefited from social media? Uh, I, I think at a, at a basic level, people are acknowledging the idea of mental health as being something uh, that exists, right? That I, I think when we talk about destigmatizing. Um, people are able to say the words depression, they are able to say the words anxiety, despite me being in a, you know, having a bachelor's in social work, getting a master's in social work, uh, I still didn't feel comfortable in using the word depression and anxiety, uh, just because, again, it wasn't part of my, my lexicon, but I see now that uh, because it's being promoted so so heavily on social media, people are, are using the terminology, which, you know, we know terminology matters. It's, that's why, you know, people like, well, they're rioting. It's just like, nah, it's a rebellion, right? Terminology matters. And it, it, it might not mean much to somebody, but when we talk about understanding, yeah. once we start to get the terminology together, uh, that helps us push the conversation further. And then it just allows people um, that idea of permission. You know, I think what you talked about when you're talking about, you know, raising little girls, it's like, nah, you know, I ain't got time to do X, Y, and Z because nobody gave us the permission to say, yo, it's okay to cry. It's okay to feel this way. And so I think social media has given people permission to to say yo i'm feeling this way I, I look at the change between you know me being 35 and you know my son being 19 you know god bless the dead he was always tell me uh they call me jermaine 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 uh you should, he's always say well, go listen to triple x tentacion he talked about depression i'm like man what are you, i don't want to listen to this young boy like he, he ain't talking about nothing and then the day he died uh you know i ended up writing a uh uh an opinion piece on him and you know so i'm listening to his music and i'm hearing him talking about depression and anxiety and he's using the words i'm like yeah he only 19 20 and he used this like i wouldn't dare be able to use that at that age even though that's what i was experiencing so when we talk about um again that permission being given i think social media has has done a lot to show that yo you're not in this alone you know there's other people out here who are on this this who are experiencing this as well the keywords the keywords of depression anxiety and thinking how i would hear those growing up and i would never hear anyone 
in my circle, nobody's parents that I knew yeah. saying this. It was typically, you know, I, I went out to a predominantly white school from first through fifth grade. I feel like I would hear those words tossed out there uh, mm-hmm. on television shows, but never within the community. And seeing the older that I get, actually understanding how these things show up to, yeah. to where it's not just, oh, you're just scary. You're just, mm-hmm. you know, he's always on edge. He's right. he's always right. mad about something realizing now having that ability to be ex- more accepting of it i think there's still a lot of resistance to it overall because I-, I know even within myself of just throwing these words like oh i'm depressed i'm i it's that's uncomfortable still and i think there's still definitely more yeah. work but i do agree that 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 the socials have helped to kind of release some of the stigma yeah yeah, giving, giving that vocabulary is super important because, you know, as you hear it more and more, even if you don't take the time to, you know, hit Google and get the true definition of these yeah. words being used, you gain that, you gain the understanding yeah. through the experience. Exactly. And it also it also helps seeing people, like you said, Ken, that look like mm-hmm. you using these words because up until, you know, very recently – uh, I say within the last, last you know five five to seven years, a lot of these things we just consider these are white people problems. Mm-hmm. What you talking about mm-hmm. depression? What you mean you in bed depressed? You're being lazy. Get up and go to work. Yeah. You're being lazy. Get up and and handle your kids. What you mean depressed? I'm sad too. Like <laughs> you know we really we <laughs> we really didn't understand what these things you know what these situations were. But um again you know. Now that we have the vocabulary, it's extremely important that we use it and don't feel weird. So with uh, with all this going on, what type of activities uh, do you use to stay centered, bring yourself back down in, you know, in these tumultuous times? Uh, you know, I mean, we're talking about Corona and, and then we're talking about, you know, these events. So the last two months has been a, a complete shift for a lot of people just because, you know, a lot of the ways that we use to cope we we can't use them so for me it, it was going to uh mark lamont hills uncle bobby's coffee shop i'm a full-time entrepreneur so i will be in there monday through friday right for for several hours at a time to just commune with with other people uh, because i needed that right i needed that opportunity just to to have conversation to have stimulating dialogue to talk trash to do you know x y to talk do x y and z within that environment so now that's not there uh the gym like i'm somebody who's used gym since he was you know uh, you know 300 pounds at at 16 years of big uh, well, 292, right? Because when you are certain, when you reach a certain number, you, you know what I mean? We don't want to get told the weight we not, right? So even if we round up, right. you know, I've used uh, the gym as a, as, a, as a method to help me cope. That was the first thing that I learned, healthy coping skills that I learned. I can't go to the gym. So what I had to do was I started running. Um, I've been running now for the past like two or three years. Um, I have periods off where I'm not running, but it was just like, yo, I got to get outside because these these endorphins that come from exercise that come from running, um, they they have the same they they impact the same areas that medication do, right? So I take medication every day. Effexor seventy five milligrams uh, for depression and anxiety. I've been taking that now for the past three years, uh, which has helped quell the suicidal ideations that I was experiencing for the last fifteen years. But I know that's not all that's going to be able to help me. I need to learn other skills. So I'll go out running. Um, I, you know, I post on social media. I hate social media with a passion. 
right? But it allows me, somebody who's thoughtful, who who enjoys writing, uh, to really write some thoughtful, um, some some thoughtful things to put them out into the universe. So I'm not keeping it inside. That's no different than somebody right keeping a journal. And which is also things that people do. I just have trouble with keeping a journal. So I got to find other outlets, Um, you know, trying to be around loved ones. You know, my partner, she moved in with me. That's a different experience all in itself. Again, another show for that. Uh, But, you know, engaging with her more has been has been helpful. I I have a a daily digital show that I do Monday through Thursday at 7 p.m. Uh, call rhetorically speaking, check it out on YouTube. Uh, I, I do that. That's an opportunity for me to get my thoughts, feelings, and emotions out. Uh, for the last 18 months, I've been running a, a a men's only wellness group called Hashtag You Good Man. At one point, we were doing it in person. Now we're doing it on Zoom virtually for anybody who identifies as a man, as, as male, whether you're a trans man, a gay man, it doesn't matter. Um, it's a space for you to have conversation and to emote. Again, that's helping me uh, cope with not only what's happening and you know the the traumas that we're seeing but just with life in general man i always say that life is is difficult we just make it look easy on our day-to-day like this is not easy man you know we don't offer ourselves enough grace enough compassion we love on everybody else but we don't love on ourselves especially when we start talking about uh about black men you know so uh so yeah man that's those are just some of the things that that i do Okay. Uh, you know, all of us content creators, uh, we've all got different platforms um, within the community and kind of, you know, our target market being the black community. Um, how do we as voices on platforms curated for the culture, uh, make sure that our communities know that we stand in solidarity with them? I, I mean, I, again, continue to do the work that, that we do. Uh, you know, I had a brother who I, I made a post about the same thing I was talking about, like in the in, in the fall, Philly schools are opening back up and we got asbestos. Right. It's like, so. So tell me what the protest is going to be when you setting it up. I said, listen, I can talk about it. Right. But I, I stay in my lane. Right. I know my lane. Like it's a brother here, Gabriel Bryant, who's a part of some dope things in the city. Right. Who's out. marching? Shout out the yeah, Shout out the gate. Right. That's his bag. I'm not saying that's not my bag. Right. At some point. But I, I know my bag. I, I, I'm trying to hold my, my conversation, my discussion in the mental health uh, space. And so what that means for me is, again, continue to be caught up on on information, on literature uh, to be able to, to give to the community. Um, continuing to take care of myself, that's, you know, that's helping the community, right? So again, when we talk about just the messaging that we're putting towards the people, it's doing what we can to make sure we're providing um, compassionate information, um, uh, caring information, science science uh, based information <laughs> right like not, like to the, to the 5g people I, I can't wait to get my 5g phone in a couple of years right <laughs> <laughs> but again it, it's not participating in that because again when we start to do that we start to um 
it, it can cause it can cause more harm than good. It's being mindful of our voices, right? I know it's certain things that I can, that I might want to say, but I, I can't necessarily say it unless I can frame it in a way where it can be received, right? So it's being understand who's listening to you. Uh, I can't just go out and say everything that I that I want to say, right? Because again, it's it's just having that heightened self that heightened level of self-awareness which will then trickle down to the people um, who quote-unquote follow you but we all learning from one another man exactly. doing the best that we can yeah you're right we're actively learning and i remember being in the point being in the position uh, in the state of mind where i was extremely upset with what i felt were black celebrities and and, and black people who have attained the position of privilege, not using their platforms, mm. and then what? And then what happened was what had happened was <laughs> they they started using their platforms, but they weren't well informed. Yeah. So then it started. So then it, it the whole the whole thing backfired on me. I was like, uh, I, no, please get get a mic from in front of this man that I see in the booth. <laughs> cut cut his mic off. Cut her mic off. They not they not in front of cameras. They don't have a script. This is going all bad. So wait, you you just talking about uh, quote unquote Raekwon, are you? So here's the thing. Here's the hit so when Shameek Moore said what he said, right? The first thing, the very first thing that popped in my head was what Kendrick said and how everybody forgot Kendrick said it. So going back to the Mike Brown situation, Kendrick was one of the people that came out and was like, we need to take accountability for our own actions. Mm -hmm. There's footage of him in the in the, in the the uh, convenience store. We need to talk about that and how we're interacting with cops and what was he doing before. And I was like, oh, man. And everyone forgot about that. Yeah. Everyone forgot about that. Not that we need to harp on it because I feel as though the more information we are exposed to and the more we grow we don't need to hold you to some of those you know past ways of thinking but the method that you described earlier with regards to recognizing the people that are already on the ground i think that's the key that's what i want these celebrities to do yeah. i don't need puff holding simple <laughs> with 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 other with other uh other rappers yeah. and 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 uh, no 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 get the people if you want to have a conversation about criminal justice reform, puff. Get the people that are actively on the forefront, elevate them on your platform, and you don't even moderate. You get out the way. Yeah. yeah. Get out the way. And let the most informed people have these conversations. So, you know, I think about how often um, the idea of like your, your stoic man, right? Um, Stoic woman, you're you're strong and what strength means, um, or at least what I thought strength meant for a long time, which was being able to handle whatever's thrown out and be able to always be there in full yeah. form and fashion. And I'm learning now in my mid thirties. Yeah, it don't work like that for <laughs> forever, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, what advice do you have for people who have been the strong friend or family member for as long as they can remember and may have forgot or never even learned how to focus on their need to offload their pain and frustration? Well, first, you know, I'm not a fan of the of the strong friend, right? Like, shout out to Royce to Five Nine. That's, that album was, was amazing. You know, and I heard the, you know, the check up on your strong friend. And I'm like, 
Uh, you know, because uh, words matter, right? Like, I'm, I'm a firm believer words matter. That's why you'll never hear me say I suffer from mental illness. I live with mental illness because suffering has a negative connotation attached to it. And I'm not I'm not suffering at all. Yeah, I have my moments at times and sometimes it persists longer than I desire. But no, I'm not suffering as long as I have breath. I'm still living. Right. And so when we talk about the strong friend, conversely, we're strong, weak. Right. So the so the people who are, are speaking out, the people who are coming to somebody with their problems, are, are we saying that that they're somehow weak? The people who die by suicide, again, language matters. They don't commit suicide because commit has a, a negative connotation to it. They die by suicide because they seek something greater in the next life that they can't feel that they feel they can't find here. Again, words matter. And so when we talk about, you know, the, this quote unquote strong friend, I'm talking, I'm looking at about an individual who who's yet to find the, the healthy coping strategies to be or the, find the environment safe enough or somebody who hasn't been given the permission to express themselves, to get out that those thoughts, feelings, emotions. So I'm a firm believer in therapy, man. I'm a firm believer. I think every black person in the world needs to see a therapist. Uh, because again, you come out the womb on this on this ice and you slipping and sliding. And the older you get, the more you start, you know, your, your footing becomes more and more slippery. And so I'm a firm believer in seeing a therapist, you know, if they're black, is that cool? For sure. But seeing somebody is, is seeing somebody and there's a whole process that comes with that right um also saying no i'm a firm believer in saying no sometimes i look at my phone oh so-and-so calling word all right let me go back to this call of duty you, know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't That's you can't be accessible all the time yeah right you, you can't just no matter whether it's at any point like this whole zoom uh period we're experiencing like, you know, I find my, my, my partner, she's on the phone, you know, doing work. I'm like, hey, you don't work like a 10 hour work bed. And I'm like, yo, turn that joint off. It's the weekend. Turn it off. They're going to be all right. Yeah. Right. And if something, if something goes down and it's urgent, then call 911. That's what they're there for. You know what I mean? And so now nah, you got to have boundaries. It's important that you establish boundaries. And the first part is, is start by saying no. And you should do it again unapologetically. Right, you should be unapologetic about, about taking care of yourself. Find different ways to to find healthy ways to cope. Find ways to challenge yourself. Um, you know, whether it's playing Sudoku on a daily basis, uh, or, or just finding a way to get that frustration out. I was on a on a call, a wellness call on Friday. And they're like, oh, you playing the game again? Yes, I am. I am playing Call of Duty. Would you like to see why? Because it's better for me to shoot people on here, get that anger and aggression out here, <laughs> than go out in, in in the world and express that anger and aggression because right. it's understood right. here, but outside it's not. So yeah, you know, again, you know, and trust people. That's a lot of thing. A lot of times, you know, people who are that go-to person, they people trust them, but they don't trust people. Mm. Right. And so we're talking about, again, this this doesn't just start when you're 25, when you're 30, when you're 50. This starts way early. We all learn how to cope. Yeah. Right. When I and, and for those who might follow me after this, you'll hear me talk about I learn how to cope. 
when my brother died from uh, from an opioid overdose when I was when I was 17, and I got a rest in peace tattoo, thinking that was going to do something to help me with the pain. And I went to school two days later and cursed the computer teacher out. First, who, who curses at the computer teacher? That's the one class you want to go to because all you're doing is Mavis. Right. Doing is Mavis Beacon. You know what I mean? And so again, I, why did I curse her out? Because my mama could curse somebody out with the best of them. So I I learned how to cope from people. Right. You learn how to cope from what it is that you see. And so when you're that person, that go to person, somebody in your life was that go to person and you learned and adopted that skill set. And so now it's to offer yourself permission to say, you know what, it's it's okay. My third and final therapist, they say it takes 10 years for somebody to get their mental health, quote unquote, under control. The first therapist I went to was a a black woman. Uh, She was awful, right? Because she started talking to me about her clients. The the second therapist I went to was about six years, seven years later. Uh, She was a white woman. Oh, Phil, I'm sorry to hear that. And I'm like, nah, I gotta be manipulative with you. I need somebody to hold me accountable. My third therapist that I went to, Dr. Val, she was like, uh, you know, I walked in and I just burst into tears. And at the end of it, she was like, so you think you won't come back? And I was like, yeah, you know, my, my, my daughter could benefit from it. My daughter's mother could benefit from it. Uh, if I get my next partner, they could benefit from it. My job is an entrepreneur. She said, well, what about you? What you mean? What about me? <laughs> right? Nah, me. You know, and it's just like, ah, exactly. What about me? What about Phil? This is about me, right? Like, this is my life. I got to be selfish with my energy. I got to be selfish with my time. Um, Because, again, if I die, this world going to keep on rolling. If you, you know, if you die, somebody going to fill your seat at work. You know, I've literally seen that happen. You know what I mean? Like somebody had a, a heart attack and they put somebody right in that seat about a month later. So you're expendable in every area of your life. And so you, again, you don't want to be expendable to yourself. So again, treat yourself with that utmost care and compassion. But again, it's you didn't just get here from this day. I know um, I don't want to just keep talking and talking, but Jennifer Lewis, you know, the actress, she's so yeah. amazing. When she was on the breakfast club, she was like, you know, she was experiencing bipolar. You know, she finally started getting therapy in like her late 20s, early 30s. And she was like, I recognize that it took me 30 years to get here. So now it might take me 30 to 40 years to really start to undo all of this damage that I've done to myself. And that's been done that I've allowed to be done to me. That's another thing. Forgive yourself. Right. Forgiving yourself is super hard. We allow things to happen to us. Why? Because we don't know any better or because of trauma or because of so, so many things. We got to forgive ourselves. Uh, you know, whether it's talking about infidelity, you know, forgive yourself. Don't bring that to the next relationship. Uh, and, and then you start to seek out perfection. That's no different than cheating. Right. Because, again, you're, you're so focused on not being your true, authentic self. So I, I know I said a lot, man, but again, permission, um, therapy, saying no, these are just uh, a little of the things that you can do. Yo, one of the things you said about how, um, you know, being that strong family member or that strong uh, friend, I really related to as far as um, not being able to trust people. And a lot of that came from the way I played that strong friend and the way I continue to play that that strong family member 
is from doing a lot of listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as I'm hearing a lot of my friends, you know, experiences and some of the things that I felt like, okay, you definitely could have avoided that. It did cause me to trust people less for the simple fact that anyone is capable of anything. Yeah. You know? So in order for me to trust you, I have to know who you are first and then I can trust what you will or won't do in a particular mm. situation. Yeah. But um but yeah, definitely from the rip, I was like, Oh yeah, no, no. He spit <laughs> <Look>. <laughs> <laughs> in your uh in your conversations, uh coaching sessions, um with black men specifically, what are some of the reoccurring themes or issues? Uh, you know, a, a lot of what I see is, again, that safe space. Uh, a lot of them don't feel that they have the space, the space, that the space is safe enough for them to, to you know, say what they feel. I always use the, you know, the, the example of, you know, a, a black man out in the world and his girlfriend is getting on his nerves. And so he says, yo, this B is getting on my nerves. The world will look at him like, oh my gosh, you called her a B. Just like no different than the, the focus that's shifting, we focus, focusing on the looting, right? right. Where we, we lose focus of what he's saying because he didn't say it in a way that was uh, uh appropriate quote-unquote uh, appropriate and politically correct that was acceptable and so my thing is yeah i want to understand first and foremost what is happening within your relationship then i want to address you know what it is why it is that you feel comfortable and using this derogatory term right if she deems it to be derogatory right and so uh, it's those themes it's a lot of brothers who are like yo i'm now in my late 20s early 30s and I don't want to be hanging around my friends who talk about sneakers and music all the time. Like, that's cool, but I want to have some deeper conversations, right? I want to I, I want to truly explore those innermost feelings that I've had and possessed because either they're not serving me well, I'm tired of being angry. Like, we, we look at the, the angry black man, uh, you know what I mean? Man, sit your ass down. Like, we look at him and we laughing, but, you know, it's exhausting. Folks get tired of that, and brothers get tired of that, but they don't have any other uh, any other coping skills to to deal with it. It might be a you know an acute traumatic situation that might have happened. You know, working with a young brother who uh, he swore he was going D one, right? He he was he's now twenty. Swore he was going D one. The offers didn't come in, mm. right? And so then he had to go D two. Uh, well, no, he had, he went D1, but he had to do be a walk-on, and then he was on the scout team, right? And the, he was the man throughout high school, and now here he is, and he's on scout team for right. two years. And now he's the only thing that gave him, um, gave him a validity in his life. Now he's, he's being, he doesn't have that anymore. And so now he's looking around like, wait, who am I? Because a lot of times we get so caught up in with identity issues, right? Because we're so we're known for the one thing that we do best, right? So for me, it might be I'm the mental health boy. That's what people, yo, that's the mental health guy. It's like, nah, I'm just born this beer in this bar trying to have a beer right now. You know what I mean? But we <laughs> right. but we start to over identify with our roles so much that we forget, yo, I'm the person. Who, who likes to go running. I, I like weightlifting. I'm the person who likes reading books. And But again, we become so hyper-focused. 
And then when it's not there anymore, we start looking around like, who am I? We see this a lot with our athletes, right? If you're not one of the ones who get immediately into broadcasting, you're left twiddling your thumbs. And we see them go broke because again, all you knew was athletics. That's been your life for 25 years. Now people are saying, well, yeah, who are you outside of that? And you have no idea. So I see a lot of, especially a lot of brothers trying to figure out who they are in their role in in society. That's really the, the, the biggest theme and just trying to find alternative ways of coping. Okay. So in your TED talk, you spoke about going from living to thriving. Can you speak more about that for our listeners? Yeah, man, it's, you know, it's just that idea. I want to have more moments where I'm smiling, right? I don't, I always talk about uh, people like Phil, are you happy? My mom asked me that. She's like, Phil, are you happy? I'd be like, I don't have a desire to be happy, right? Like, that's not, that's not real. My desire is to be able to truly uh, experiences, experience all of the emotions while I'm in them. Right, so if I'm angry, I want to be able to experience anger. Anger is a healthy emotion. Being frustrated is healthy. Being sad is healthy. Fear is healthy. But conversely, I also want to smile more. I want to be experience those happy moments. I don't want to just um, emotionally just be uh, again that stoic word. I don't just want to be able to say not get too high, not get too low. What kind of life is that? I want to be able to experience every emotion in a healthy way. So when I'm happy, I want to be in that moment. When I'm angry, I want to be in that moment and, and not suppress those feelings, but um, be able to, to manage them and allow them the opportunity to to go through whatever it is that they're, that they're going through. Uh, speaking of my mama, she dialing me right now. Um, and, but again, it's, it's this idea of, I wanna put myself in a position where I am thriving, whether it's employment. I haven't had a full-time job since I worked for the city of Philadelphia when I was 26. I, I, I realized that you know I saw what was happening and how black, it was a war on poverty and a war on black, on brown, black and brown folks. Um, in child welfare, I got to, I couldn't take nobody else's kids, man, just because you ain't had no water, right? Nobody cared about the circumstances, and we know that when black and brown kids get into foster care, uh, it takes them twice as long to get out, and I just it didn't sit well with me, and so I just one day say, listen, um, yeah, I'm resigning, and she said, you don't want to get two weeks notice. I said, if some if I end up back here, that means something in my life went wrong. Right. Did I have a, a steady paycheck for two weeks after that? Did I have a job immediately after that? No, but I believed in myself. And it was truly a, for me, I, I steady deal with the, you know, the imposter syndrome that so many of us deal with. And so I know my skill set is thorough. Right. Like even in the midst of this, like, I'm like, yo, Phil, you killing this joint. But a part of me is like, Phil, you see you stinking it up right now. And so I, I battle that on a daily basis. So for me, thriving is continue to prove myself wrong. Right. And, and continue and, and prove myself right in the moments where I know that I have a dope skill set. I, I want to be able to get into the arenas that I desire to be in. And so for me, that's thriving. Um, but I just want peace. Right. At, at the end of the day, man, for me, is it starts with this inner peace that I can't get from external circumstances. And once I have that peace, I'm thriving. And then anything that comes my way, it's just adding on to that to that happiness it's like relationships man like i had this is my first healthy relationship at 35 mm. 
you know, from my, from my mentor, he's Alfred. He's a Alfred Edmonds. He's the uh, senior vice president at Black Enterprise. Mm-hmm. He got his first healthy relationship at the age of forty eight, mm-hmm. right? Because he stopped. He said, "Yo." I need to be happy. I need to be comfortable with myself. And then whoever comes, they add and on. I'm not looking for nobody to, to help uh, make me happy. Mm. Right? That's And that's something that a lot of us uh, who might lack love in any capacity, that's one thing we start to look to. Yeah, man. So for me, thriving is, again, putting my myself in a position where I'm just help making healthy decisions for myself, for those I love, um, and going forward. As we close, Phil, first, you know, thank you for thank you for your yes. time. This has been amazing. Yes. I can't wait, you know, for our listeners to be able to, to check this interview no out. Doubt. Can you tell us a little bit about Quantify and how people can learn more? So so Quantify, because I, I did a lot of talking, but Quantify is is just the idea, man, of helping any and everybody, whether it's it's people, whether it's businesses that I consult with, I do a lot of professional developments for you know for uh, elementary schools, high schools. Uh, a lot of what I do with Quantify is is speaking at different colleges, which is difficult because now everybody's shut down. <laughs> um, but again, spreading this information of total wellness. I got, I'm about 130,000 in, in student loan debt. I got a, a bachelor's and master's in social work. I have a, a, a master's in exercise science. I, and I'm pursuing a, a doctorate in, in social work. It's starting in August. And so Again, it's about this idea of total wellness, because, again, if, if you, there's a deficit in one area, then there's more than likely going to be the deficit in another area. And our goal is to live optimally. So we need all of those aspects of self to be firing. And so those avenues, whether it's coaching, whether it's speaking, um, you know, whether again, physical wellness coaching, body comp coaching, I coach athletes as well as do mental health wellness coaching. Um, and so, yeah, that's what Quantify is, man. It's just helping people get into a position to where they recognize their strengths. Because that's what it is. Like, you're the expert of your own life. I'm just here to, to help guide you, right? But you got all the answers within you. But it's a make, you know, it's just a matter of self-confidence and a matter of certain other things that to help you with, to, to put you in a position to where you see that you're, at the end of the day, that, that you're worthy. Um, you know, for, for people who are interested in following up with me, uh, net. You can hit me up on Instagram, Phil underscore Roundtree. Um, you can shoot me a message. I'm not bougie. Uh, you know, I, I hit you back. You know, people ask me questions all the time, and it's just like, oh, I'm just gonna give you some information because that's, that's the end of the day, man. That's what this is, man. We we need to spread information, um, and that's another form of love when we when we do spread this information to our people. Because as we can see, if if I don't do it, if y'all don't do it, then who gonna do it? You know what I'm saying? So Great. no yeah, doubt. Yeah. No Thank doubt. you so much for your time. Before we wrap up, I'm sorry. I also got because I'm bad at self promotion. Uh, also, again, I got rhetorically speaking as Monday through Thursday uh, at 7 p.m. is live. I take phone calls. I do Skypes as long as your, your hair done. Uh, <laughs> uh, you can catch that on YouTube. That's Quantify LLC. I also have the hashtag You Good Man Podcast, which is on all live streaming platforms. Again, it's men 
uh, coming together to talk about men's issue. The last episode, I had some some great creatives on, Kaise Layman, Derek Harriel, um, Zane, who's a professional dancer, Alati Farmer, who's a writer. And again, just bringing information to men. Also have the hashtag, you good man, men's wellness group. Now we're meeting bi-weekly on Zoom. Um, and so again, you can you can see all that on my on my Instagram at Phil underscore Roundtree. Again, you know, I gotta if I got time and I got energy, continue to put out things to just help people, man. Because at the at the end of the day, man, we all we got. <laughs>